You are listening to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. We are a group of students at the University of North Texas Health Science Center who are passionate about mental health issues and fighting stigmas. The aim of this podcast is to educate our listeners on mental health and tell our experiences with honesty. We encourage you to consider only what feels best to you and to consult with your medical professional and or support team before doing anything that might jeopardize your physical, emotional, spiritual, or mental health. Some episodes may trigger an adverse reaction. If an episode is beginning to upset you, I advise that you please pause immediately and talk to your support team. With that being said, welcome to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. Let's dive in. Thanks for inviting me. My name is Scott Walters. I'm a Regents Professor in Health Behavior and Health Systems at the School of Public Health. Hi, thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate you coming and spending the time with us today to answer some questions. My pleasure. What do you got? So I just kind of wanted to hear a little about uh, your insight into the current situation with COVID-19, being a part of the School of Public Health. What have you noticed to be some main issues currently facing the U.S.? Yeah, well, of course, everybody knows we haven't experienced anything like this in our lifetime. So we don't really even have a model for this. We're just kind of trying to figure it out, you know, one day at a time. The COVID virus itself, there's that and all the health issues that creates. That only affects a small number of the total people that are affected. So for other people, it's about dealing with the, just the stress and anxiety and and being at home and perhaps a job loss. So it's really a variety of things ranging from the immediate health effects, which again, affect a small number of people to the larger sort of economic and mental health and changes to the, just changes the way we live. Just so many changes. Yeah. How do you feel that this is going to affect mental health and healthcare workers in the future? Everybody is, I guess, running dry on all their energy and everything and having to face things that they've never had to face before in the pandemic and answering questions that they probably don't know the answer to. How do you feel like that'll affect mental health in the future? I think in the short run, mental health will be and is, I think, negatively affected. People are dealing with a lot more stress and anxiety and depression and loneliness. You know, I think there's something, there's some truth to people that are, I used to tell my, tell my wife, I say, busy kids are happy kids. And I think the same is true for people. People that are engaged and working to some extent are, are happy. So in the short term, I think people's mental health will be negatively affected. In the long term, I'm really hopeful that there's going to be a significant positive effect. I think it may cause a lot of people to reevaluate their lives and what's important to them. A lot of things we take for granted, you know, like being with other people and just the simple pleasure of of seeing a friend, you know, in person, physical touch, I think, being being in a restaurant, you know, things that don't, you know, going to a bar, things that don't take a lot of money necessarily, but they're very gratifying. And I think that people will notice those and come out of this, uh, of the quarantine with an appreciation for that. I think structurally, I'm also hopeful that there'd be a lot of positive changes. There's a lot of emergency waivers to pre-authorization requirements, funding, you know, telehealth kind of workarounds, waivered providers. So there's a lot of just sort of patchwork being done right now. And when the quarantine is over, I think it's very difficult to, re- even though those things are technically, they're all temporary. Once a person has something, it's very difficult to take that back. 
So I, I think that there's going to be a lot more telehealth and providers that are subbing for each other and providers with more waivers to do things. So I think, uh, and I'm hopeful that maybe mental health will be more accessible and flexible moving, moving out. Uh, maybe I'm an optimist, but I'm hopeful that'll happen. I hope so too. too. On the subject of spending time with others, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on how this is affecting the elderly population? What do you think the long term is going to look like, especially them being a vulnerable population right now in the pandemic? Well, obviously, the elderly population is probably the most affected by this, both because they're physically vulnerable, as well as their their need for care, you know, for people to both provide things for the food and so forth, but also to just be around for uh, for emotional care. So I, I, I am somewhat fearful for that population. So I would say in the short term, people are negatively affected. I think it may also have a bad, a negative long-term effect. And there's a lot we don't know about the virus too, in terms of its ability to stay in the body and influence people long-term. So there's that. Um, There's also, uh, everybody thinks this is going to be in waves. Mm -hmm. So after this wave of the virus goes away, what's the next wave going to look like? And until we have a vaccine or a better handle on how exactly this is transmitted and how it's treated and how we vaccinate against it, I'm afraid it's going to have a lot of negative effects on elderly. Going into a bit of a broader question, but genuinely curious on your thoughts. For populations that are more marginalized, such as the homeless veteran population, or even populations that are stuck indoors with their abusers, for example, genuinely curious on your thoughts on how the isolation, as well as possibly the disease itself, may have on the mental health, or in general, on on care for these populations. So I'm trying to pitch to our media office right now a, an article on what's happening with, with crime and substance use, because I, I think there's some very interesting, we're going to see some interesting paradoxical effects that maybe people wouldn't have guessed. So mm-hmm. crime, for instance, is way down. It's down everywhere. So in particular, property crimes and overdoses appear to be down. At least people are presenting to emergency rooms for those things. So theft-related crimes, violent interpersonal crimes are all, are all down. My suspicion is that domestic crimes, for instance, you mentioned, you know, if you're with, with somebody, um, uh, your abuser domestically, my guess is we'll see those crimes have gone up, but there's no way to tell at this point because people are, are hunkered down. In the context of that, the fact that crime has gone way down is particularly interesting because we're releasing a lot of people from jails right now. Not so much from the prisons, but from the jails. So there's an important distinction between People in prison are typically there for a longer period of time, perhaps years, and they've most often been convicted of a crime. So your jails, though, are located more regionally, or in counties, I should say. Your jails typically consist of people that have not been convicted of a crime. And so they're just there because they've been arrested and they're being held in lieu of bail or in lieu of a court date or something like that. I am very worried about the jails and the prisons and what's happening there. The solution for the jails has been to just release a lot of people, people that are low-level nonviolent offenders. They're just, you know, releasing them in lieu of bail. And I think it's interesting that we're releasing so many of those people, and yet crime has stayed low. So that's a kind of interesting intersection with substance use. I have a little debate with some of my friends who do modeling work with substance use. They're all convinced that substance use is going to go up during the quarantine. And some of the reasons for that would be people are dealing with a lot of mental health issues. A lot of the natural reinforcers of just being at work, being busy, aren't there. They're also afraid that people are not going to get the care that they need 
you know, either mental health, emotional, or maybe medicine for drug abuse. So those are all reasons you might expect drug use to go up. However, there's some reasons you might expect drug use to go down. Some of those reasons are that your, a lot of your supply chains are going to be pinched during this time. So it's just going to be more difficult to get illegal things. It's also going to be difficult to find the chemicals to make illegal things. You know, all the supply chains are going to be pinched. I think that there's a lot more scrutiny if people are out. So you can't be just hanging out, you know, dealing. You're going to call a lot more attention to yourself than you would ordinarily. And I think that people will have less money now because they're not working. So there's less disposable income. So those are some reasons you might expect drug use to go down during a time like this. So on the whole, I don't know. I really don't know what's going to happen, except that I think that drug use is going to be a lot more volatile. It's going to go up when people have it, and it's going to go way down. So you're going to have a lot of perhaps overdoses as people sort of zigzag back and forth. Now, one thing I will say is I think alcohol use is going to go way up because it has a very reliable supply chain. There's ample supply. Kentucky has years and years and years of alcohol in barrels. There's no, that's not going anywhere. And in Texas, it's an essential business liquor stores are. So, you know, the sale is protected there. So I think alcohol will go way up. Now, back to that, the earlier point about crime, that's where I think you might have an interesting sort of negative synergy between increased alcohol use in the home and abuse in the home. So I'm thinking those two things, there, there may be some synergy there that, you know, maybe exacerbate each other. Out of curiosity, in the long term, where do you think that information from once that information starts to come out for people who are interested in that information? What forms of that be coming out through? Because where to get the best information is always a question people have. Well, so there are national surveys on drug use, national survey on drug use and health. People in the field pretty much recognize that that's way underestimated maybe only captures about half of use. So there's that. You could also look at overdose rates. States have rates of overdose. Coroners have to test and report that. And so that's for overdose. State crime reports, those are, you know, those are all available. I think Dallas Morning News does a pretty good job of talking about what's happening in Dallas. And most days they talk about, they'll cover a little bit of crime or the jails or something like that, just because it's such an interesting area. Thank you very much. <laughs> Okay, so I would like to know how you think we should approach the uncertainty of what's to come in the future, or maybe how we should manage our mental wellness in this time of uncertainty. The, the quarantine is a lot more like the stages of grief than I had thought. But, you know, looking back a little bit, I can really see how it started with denial. Then it went into anger. And that there was a stage where, you know, I personally, I was panicked, you know, and I had trouble sleeping, <laughs> breathing. It was almost like you have those dreams where there's, you're falling, you know, it was sort of like that. I'm like, where the heck is the bottom? You know, just tell me, is it going to be like one week, four weeks, six weeks, two months? You know, what, just tell me what the, tell me what the end date is. And because it, it just looked worse and worse all the time. So I did have that kind of panic or anger, you know, kind of in the early stage. But then you go into bargaining. You have to give people grace, first of all, that there, you may have a lot of people that are, they're still in the anger stage and they haven't made it past then. And, you know, I have to be okay with that. But I also have to be okay with my own process. 
you can't expect me to just zip through like any other trauma. You can't zip through to that in that acceptance kind of stage. So that's helped me to think about and recognize that people do go through these series of changes where they're, where they're just thinking differently. And that's part of the maturation process. Your question was hinting at like, what can you do, you know, to move through? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot that you can do to just sort of keep your mental health and keep your sanity. I think things that um, you can do that give you a kind of control over your life. So for instance, if you're, you know, this like early on in the early days, it was a lot more sleeping in, you know, you wear pajamas, eat a lot of ice cream, watch a lot of TV. (laughs) Yeah. Short-term strategy. It's like a weekend strategy. You know, it's not a long-term strategy to to do those things. The long-term strategy is going to look more, a lot more like discipline and control where you're waking up at a set time and you're going to bed at a set time, you know, and you're keeping those times that are, that fit your rhythm better, that you're waking up and you're, you know, taking a shower, you're eating breakfast, you're getting dressed, you know, even if you're going to be on, on Zoom, you know, put clothes on. One of my colleagues says a big step for her is she started wearing clothes from the waist down because the first several days she just put the jeans from the waist down. This, like, no one will know, right? She recognized that it just gave her a sense of control as if she was dressed up professionally, even if no one could see it, she knew. So that routine, setting goals for your day, writing things down, having structured, you know, structured meeting times. So, you know, a list of goals. So that, that's one thing is I think having tasks and having a routine is one thing. I think the second thing that gives people a lot of joy is being around others. And again, you know, I was telling you about SNL that, that in my opinion, this, the show last week just didn't work. It just wasn't funny in this format. But yet we got to try, right? So some of the things that I have done, I've noticed that I wish I invested in Zoom stock, you know, two or three months ago. <laughs> my church, where our Sunday school class meets like in this format, you know, and it works, it works okay. The choir had a big thing where they all, you know, pasted each other together and they all sang together and they, you know, it was okay. I wouldn't want to do it forever and ever, but it, it worked okay. I think Facebook has probably gone up a lot in terms of the, the volume of users. We've, we've actually scanned a lot of pictures in. I brought home, right before the quarantine started, I brought home a scanner from work. And we've just been going through like boxes and boxes of my old paper pictures that I just had never thought to just zip in and scan. And what I did is I, t- I took, you know, a dozen or so, just people I hadn't seen in years, but were really, you know, people I, I liked a lot and miss. And I just tagged them on Facebook. I posted these old pictures of us doing whatever. And it was delightful. You know, people were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, and it resulted in a lot of these really nice, warm conversations with people that I liked, but I just wouldn't have talked to otherwise. So you look for ways to kind of do the best you can, and you look for ways that maybe this is going to help us with, you know, like the reconnecting with old friends kind of thing. I'll also add getting outside. We've been lucky. The weather has, for the most part, has been nice. I try and force myself to work outside as much as possible. I have just a little stand, and I'll take my laptop and go, like, plunk the stand outside, and I'll just stand and in the backyard and work. Scott Kelly, who is the, that astronaut who was in space for a year, said that our ability to be outside is actually a great advantage. The ability to just look at the blue sky and the green trees and smell the air and see nature, it has something like really healing. So that's my other thing is if you have a patio, 
get your work done, like Megan. Mm -hmm. So if you have a patio, take your laptop out there and make yourself absolutely good for the soul. You're so right about that. Drink fancy water. <laughs> make you feel better. Is there anything about how our nation or how the world is reacting that has surprised you? anything that stands out to you? Well, I don't know if it's surprising, but it's notable at least that there seems to be a lot of solidarity. We're all in this together. For instance, so when I go for a walk, neighbors, some I know, some I don't know, a lot more people say hi nowadays. In the early days, people would like chuckle and like roll their eyes like, what, what is happening? You know, but it was, there was a kind of solidarity. So I'm hopeful that maybe we come out of this and even though I'm not necessarily happy with the way the government has handled this whole thing, I think the public itself will come out with, a, with maybe a, a reorganization of their priorities. It surprised me that people pretty much stay home. I figured people would you know, say, screw this, and they would just go out and, but no, you know, we're told to stay home and people stay home. Uh, that, that surprised me. I did have a question for you. Yeah. Um, about, you were saying earlier you had, was it a book or written an article about family as co-workers? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's something I'm personally working with at home, being back here in um, D.C. with my boyfriend and trying to do school online while he's a resident and we're trying to adjust to each other's lives and be happy and healthy. So <laughs> I would also appreciate your... <laughs> As I'm married, I have a six-year-old, so I'm getting to play like teacher and yeah. student and mom all at the same time. Well, in the first few days when we were quarantined, the school public health worked together an article that was just kind of about, you know, keeping yourself busy and keeping your sanity. And, you know, if you have kids, just keeping them busy and kind of out of your way early, you know, early stuff. Um, but it's occurred to me in the last week or so that it's not about that anymore. It's, it's as much me staying out of their way as it is them staying out of my way. So in a way, we become a lot more just like coworkers. And where they have a kind of, you know, they have work they need to do. They, they need a space. They have, you know, certain tasks. They have a work process that needs to be respected. And, you know, just like any coworker, you know, people kind of work differently. Some people like chaos and noise. Some people got to be uh, like hunkered down and got to be quiet and kind of in the dark. Everyone needs time, time together and time apart. You know, you got a break room where you're together and then you go to your office and, you know, you get your work done in quiet and a different work process. My kids are, uh, are 11 and 14 and they're pretty, I mean, they both have kind of their work, work areas. So we're together for things and they're definitely apart for things. Junior high, middle, and on up, I think it's probably the schools found it easier to transition to online. I, I don't know how, you know, if you have young kids, I don't know how in the world that happens. But they, they know Canvas, they know Zoom, you know, they've used this for the last couple of years, so it's not a problem for them to be given a list of, of things and, you know, watch this, take this test, do this worksheet or this project or whatever. Yeah, so that's the, the family is coworkers, so respecting each other's space and work process. My kids early on, most days we wake up and they can, they can do whatever they want. They, they got to eat and get ready and everything. But at nine o'clock is when, you know, you got to start school. So they get their schoolwork done. And the first day they started their schoolwork and they both took their earbuds and went plunk and plopped it in their ears. And I thought, that's not right. You can't take that out, you know, get to. And then I thought, well, you know what? 
what do I care? Earbuds. If, if that works for them, that's their work process. You know, if my son wants to work for a little while and pop up and run around, you know, or go out, sit outside, be inside, roll around. Heck, he rolls around the floor with a dog, you know? And that's kind of his work process to do that and to get back up. So you got to kind of respect that. So respecting each other's work process, time, uh, time together, time apart. There are communal times, but there's also times where people just need to be apart. And I think kind of having a plan for things. People always say, oh, I work from home all the time. It's, you know, I, I can do this. But I think they found quickly that it's not, it's not quite the same. There's a lot of planning about like who's doing what at what time and, you know, is, how's our bandwidth and what's the noise like and is this a mm-hmm. meeting that I can mute myself on or is this one that I've got to, you know, keep the sound on, in which case you can't be practicing piano. You know, I got a sleeping wife here and I got a, you know, a daughter playing piano there. And so it's kind of like a plan, you know, like any workplace, you might have a, you know, a schedule of who's doing what at what time and who needs what space. And so that's the three things I think is uh, have a plan, respect each other's work product and process, and then time together, time apart. Thank you. That's going to help a lot, actually. (laughs) Oh, the other thing I'll say is, one of the things was my daughter's animal science class or eighth grade class. Of course, they have 50 animals that need to go somewhere because they can't stay there. So we had six animals come home. We had like a combination of snakes and reptiles, basically. So picture me, I'm here in my office and I got two behind me, I got two reptile cages and they had heating pads. So get real hot. So in the afternoon, you got the sun shining through the window. You got nice and closed up door there. And you got these two hot reptile cages there. And I'm trying to do my afternoon Zoom call and sweat's just pouring off me. It's like 95 <laughs> degrees in my office. And, oh. and with my daughters in the next room plunking out a virtual piano lesson, you know, it's not everything, anything I had ever thought that I would be doing. But, you know, here we are. Same. Everything is so different. And you'd think that you would feel so comfortable in your own home. And sometimes you just don't. You don't. I spend a lot of time outside. (laughs) Actually, I mean, it's, you know, on those days where it's sunny, it's so nice to just force yourself to go out and work outside for a while. And, you know, it's perfectly healing. We have a, we have a pool in the backyard and days where it's been a little warmer. I've heated that sucker up and just pretended that it's summertime. And nice. You know, what do I, what do I care <laughs> what it costs? Just heat it up. Like sanity. <laughs> what are your thoughts on hysteria and a lot of the uncertainty with hearing different things in the news and how that's affecting people? Oh, yeah. I think people got to quit. No, you got to, you know, you got to regulate. You got to throttle the amount of, of news you see. So that was part of my, I, I discovered for me, that was part of my falling, my panic process, because the news was so bad every morning. And it was just like volume would turn up about how awful, and there's like no end in sight. And, you know, so it would just make me more stressed to wake up, particularly in the morning, you know, have a cup of coffee and read the newspaper. It was just terrible. So I've had to, to regulate that. Dallas Morning News is a good paper, uh, and I think has good coverage. It still is very much quarantine coronavirus heavy, especially like a, you know, a front page articles, which I get. The New York Times, which I also like a lot, I can't even read anymore. It's just too grim. For me, I just, I have to have my own boundaries and sanity. You know, I feel terrible 
New York City, New York has been horribly affected by this, but I, I just can't be thinking about those things. So I haven't, you know, I haven't, you know, I subscribe to it. I haven't even looked at it in a week probably. I just, I can't. So that's, that's my advice is feed yourself. Feed yourself what's going to work for you, what's going to fill you with joy. Facebook news is terrible. You know, it's not at all reliable. It's a bunch of garbage. People that post a bunch of random stuff. So I, I, I don't ever spend much time on Facebook or, you know, social media anyway. But, but again, think of how do you want to think? You know, what kind of feeling do you want to have in you? And then look for things in your environment that put that kind of joy inside of you. And if you, you think, well, I want to be joyful, but I also want to be a realist, good for you. Do that. So, but, but make sure that you don't go overboard on the realism. Too much realism is just going to, like, gobble up all that joy. Thank you. Where do we go from here? What do, do you have any last advice for us? My advice is this will end. It sounds terrible to say it's silver lining, but you're living in the middle of this huge historical event. We, there's nothing like this anybody, anyone has ever seen. I mean, since your great-grandparents, you know, World War II and the Depression, that's the nearest you know, equivalent of something like this. That's kind of a silver lining. These are interesting times. We're also in a pretty good place, you know? I mean, you all are dressed, appear to be bathed, you know, you're eating right. So some of that panic you feel is maybe a little bit misplaced because most of us, you know, there's no like threat to our lives right now. So that's something to keep in mind. Thinking of at some point this will end. And so whether it's, however it ends, whether it's staged release, and, uh, but at some point this is going to be, it's going to end. So ask yourself, you know, two weeks or four weeks or six weeks or God forbid, eight weeks from now, what would you want to look back and say, you know, I did that. Uh, what would you want to do during that, this time? And whatever that thing is, do that now. That's what you should be doing. That's really good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. I wish you guys well. Thank you so much. Go Thank outside. <laughs> <laughs> that was Dr. Scott Walters, Regents Professor, Department of Health, Behavior, and Health Systems at the University of North Texas Health Science Center. All right. Well, how have we been coping during the social distancing crisis, everybody? I'll just, I'll just start off with just like, he was mentioning it previously, but just specifically scheduling FaceTimes for social occasions or also maybe less scheduled space timing for do when doing work for related to studying for a lot of us and also just having game nights here and there kind of like how we might have done previously but just again since we're all indoors for the most part anyway just making sure that it's all kept within a set time frame over zoom knowing what's doable over video, video call and things like that it kind of helps with the whole not seeing people as much physically anymore it's not i, I would say it's honestly not the same thing but you know it's something, and it also provides some structure. What I've been doing is, like Dr. Walters was saying, just kind of using this time to like build on things that I've wanted to do in the past, and also like use this time to focus on new things. And like so I've been like pull-ups, yeah, pull-ups is one thing. Um, <laughs> so kind of just like maintaining a schedule with working out, but then also like I've been trying to incorporate some medical Spanish, just learning words and learning how I can talk through things because going into med school, we're not going to have time. And so it's a good time right now to kind of see, you know, use that to build the skill up while I can. But then also, you know, if I have time to play my instruments, I'm going to. 
you know, I feel like usually we can't otherwise. And so it's a, it's a good time to practice that. So true. I noticed that what's going on with me is that I'm trying to do everything and I'm like, Oh, I need to master a new language. I need to get this done and that done, but it's taken me some time, but I've realized that it's okay if I go at my own pace. We have time. <laughs> right. We have a lot of time. Yeah, we do. What Dr. Walters was saying with making sure that once we get out of this quarantine, that we look back on this and really appreciate how far we've come and what we've gotten to accomplish. That doesn't mean you have to accomplish everything on your list. So yeah, I've been getting back into drawing and playing my instruments too, but. Oh. Yeah, I bought a guitar like six months ago and this is the first time that I've actually sat down and tried to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, personally, it really hit me hard at first because I have a big deal about, it used to be my apartment was, that's my apartment, that is my relaxation space, that's where I sleep, that's where I don't study, and the library is where I study. And so not being able to do that anymore, I found it very difficult to transition to being able to find a good space to study. I'm still getting used to it, but it's a lot better than it was. It's like at least having a corner where I'm like, okay, this is where I study, this is where I get it done, and then I leave. <laughs> I can go to the other side of the room. That and I found that uh, getting back into running and making sure I exercise has really helped. Although it's something to watch out for because being that a lot of people are having that same idea now, you have to watch out for what times you go to the park because there were a couple times that I would go and it was impossible to keep six feet apart from people. There were just so many people and so it's either go early or lately I've just been running around the apartment building. Well, good for you. Thank yeah. you. You know, making it work. Oh, yeah. It's kind of interesting how to kind of lean to learn to be more adaptable to circumstances and just forcing to be more strict in scheduling. Because, like, mm -hmm. anything that was originally there to kind of structure things is, for the most part, gone. So it's a lot on us to build this that structure for ourselves. And that's kind of a discipline that I'm trying to build right now. And I'm, it's an interesting experience. <laughs> I'll admit I'm someone that has a hard time building structure on my own. I thrive on busyness and being able to go to meetings and, you know, I'm in class at this time. Same. And now it's like, figure it out. <laughs> the schedule's just a bunch of gray area at this point. <laughs> I'm still struggling trying to find like the healthiest ways to cope and the correct schedule. And I don't even know. So tell me everything that's working for you guys. <laughs> So for me, for myself, I am usually a pretty structured individual because we, I just have a lot on my plate all the time since I'm in grad school and I was working and I have a six-year-old and I don't know if you can hear her or not, but she's like rammed into the door a couple times because she's so busy running around right now. And then through this process, I've had to pick up teaching a kindergartner, which I am not a teacher of anyone, nor for kindergarten. And so we've kind of really had to try to keep our, our schedules, except that we can't actually really follow them and keep our sanity because trying to keep her focused for like four hours on doing math and reading when she doesn't want to read has it's been a real struggle. So being adaptable is I would say it was a strength like I sort of already had, but it's really getting tested right now 
on how flexible I can be and still accomplish things to make myself feel like I'm still doing my best and like putting my best effort into my work and my schoolwork and my environment and which I get a lot of um, self-satisfaction and that's usually makes me feel good, right? Like accomplishing things and meeting my goals. So I am just really going through and kind of taking my previous structure to a slightly different structure so that I can still feel good about meeting my goals while also not pressuring myself to constantly like do everything 100% perfectly every single day because there's days where we don't work on her schoolwork at all and I'm just okay with that because it's it's fine and it's gonna be okay she'll be fine yeah well and also like now we get we go outside more often because she just got a bike so now that's part of her pee oh fun we're just we're just making things work so now we go out pretty regularly so she can get some exercise and she can ride her bike and I get exercise in the process which has been really helpful and pretty good for my mental health so I should probably go back to scheduling that into my day on a regular basis but it's a learning that's awesome a learning curve for sure you know on that note we did have a couple of people um post to the mind um Instagram page about things that they're struggling with staying productive when they have staying productive with schooling when they have these overwhelming stressors at home, like maybe, I don't know, just the family issues that are going on or, you know, maybe a husband lost their job or something, or like we were trying to buy a house in Dallas and no banks are giving loans. So it's just, what are things that y'all are doing to block off, to, to compartmentalize basically? Having similar issues to that right now, honestly. So it's just like, you- each of those have individual issues that you kind of have an idea of what you could have done previously. And it takes a little bit more research to know what are ways you can start addressing it now. So for example, if you're not necessarily, if you don't necessarily have a job, at least having the setup to start applying for whenever they would start coming out so that you don't have the stress or if you haven't even tried, you know, it's uh, like taking the baby steps of just, all right, I did my application. I sent it out to a million different places and I've done at least that much for that one thing that I know is a stressor. So even if it's something that's still an issue immediately, that's something that I attempted to do something for because there's not really much else you can do at that point, right? And it's just kind of working with little you can do in the circumstances given that are helping with progress in some way. Having some sense of progression in very dire circumstances can make a lot of difference towards your mental health on how you're feeling about your, at least that one area so that you can start working on same small changes in other areas as well. For example, like if you have upcoming uh, standardized testing, for example, and things like that. Taking advantage of what you do have control over Mm -hmm. helps manage your stress too. That's what Dr. Walters was saying is uh, what you can control and making like lists and goals and tasks. That's how we kind of get through a lot of it is I will put down maybe 20 tasks that I feel like I have to get done right now, but then going through and kind of looking at it and putting down like what of those things I actually want to get done right now and working first on the things that I want to do will make me happier or make me feel lighter and not as stressed first. And then kind of just letting go of the ones that I keep telling myself I need to do, but really 
it's not going to matter if it gets done today, tomorrow, the next week, or ever, maybe. I know for myself and having to figure out how to deal with the family and taking on a role that I didn't previously have, it's been pretty important to find access to the resources that can answer my questions or at least give me some ideas on how to manage it. One thing that I've kind of had to remind myself a couple of times, especially, you know, as a pre-med applying to medical school during this, is to kind of put it in perspective and remember that pretty much everyone in the world is going through this right now. And it's different for everyone going through it. We all have different ways we're coping, different problems, certainly different levels of the difficulty of our situations right now. But just the comfort and the fact that none of us are alone in this, that it's a huge problem that a lot of people are going through. Bringing back to what Dr. Walters was saying, it just kind of gives some solidarity, kind of reminds me like, okay, other people are finding their like own ways to handle this. And so it's possible. It's possible to get through this. And also just knowing that, you know, there's a lot of people <laughs> around for support. I like that. So being real, making realistic goals, prioritizing in a reasonable way, and then just being honest with yourself that you're not alone. Like uh, Dr. Walters was saying that this has kind of been a grief process and everything he said, I was like, yes, I felt that. Oh yeah, I felt that. I think that's important for people to realize that that can give them some connectivity to everybody else. They feel a little less isolated. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our talk. Thank you for listening to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. Be sure to check out the episode notes for some resources we recommend. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck or feeling alone, you are not alone in this. Seeking help for your mental health is an important way of taking control of your life. And remember, it's okay not to be okay. Before we go, show some love by sharing this podcast with a friend and rating it on whatever platform you may be using. We look forward to sharing new content with you every second and fourth Wednesday of the month. Thanks again for listening.